When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney, here to talk Cubs coming off their big series win against the division-leading Brewers. Uh, they did it again, guys. They did the thing where they won two of three, and the losing game wasn't the last game of the series right before an off day. I mean, that is like, just, like, sweep them, great, would love it. But they just, I feel like ever since I uh, lamented that all their series wins had been coming with the losing game at the end and how much that sort of sours the otherwise happy moment, I feel like they've been hooking me up. I feel like this, I, I think maybe the word got into the clubhouse and they were like, <laughs> all right, guys, first game of the series, let's let's take it easy. Let's go ahead and why don't we just go ahead and give them four runs in the first inning. Jameson, can you just groove some fastballs right down the middle? Uh, and then we'll we'll come back and get the next two games because we'll be properly motivated. Uh, I kid, of course. So we're going to talk Cubs and Brewers in a lot of ways, um, uh, micro, macro. But the, the biggest picture point I wanted to make that I kind of woke up thinking about that series is how much did the Cubs win that series, the games that they won, in a very Brewers way? Like they win two one-run games. They have like kind of the same set of relievers coming in and it's very annoying for the other team because it's like, all right, it's just their their good relievers are lined up to do their thing. They get very effective starts from two starting pitchers that are kind of at the front of the rotation now. They get a couple lucky bounces. The wind helps them out. Uh, the right ricochet scores a winning run. All these things that I have associated with the Brewers and the horseshoe that, that they've had up their butt for years. It feels like the Cubs kind of poached that uh, for this series. Yeah. The way the Brewers win is, is maddening, right? I've been saying for five years now, I think, is that how long we've been doing this podcast uh, <laughs> where the Brewers have been a thorn in the Cubs side during that entire time that I don't buy it. I don't think this team is very good. And they, they continually prove me wrong. Uh, for half a decade now. I mean, I, I, I feel some sense of vindication because uh, the Marlins have have collapsed because I was like, this <laughs> team is fraudulent. They're not good. I don't buy it. And, they, and they've collapsed. The Reds, I was like, that pitching staff sucks. No way they can keep it up. They've, they've fallen back to earth. I felt like the Cubs were a better team. But the Brewers, nope, they're not going away. <laughs> they just continue to uh, hey, outperform give yourself- the talent. Uh- 
hey, credit on this too. You were early on the Cardinals being terrible this year. I remember that from spring training. You're like, I'm pretty sure this pitching is going to be a problem for them. And and it was. So I didn't expect every them to team, be this bad. <laughs> but well, maybe yeah. not. But I'm just saying every team upon which you opine doom, it it plays out except for the Brewers. The Brewers cannot. Like I, I can't figure them out. I never will figure them out. They'll always just uh, uh, be maddening to try and look at on paper and, and say like this team isn't any good. They, I mean, I, I'll say this: I think the Cubs have been winning a lot of games like that. I, I think they had like uh, we always, uh, you know, fans will point out all the things that don't go the team's way or or especially when Milwaukee was on that winning streak every little bounce that went their way and and every single time that a good pitcher like had a bad moment it seemed to be in a big situation against the Brewers um so like the Cubs have been getting some bounces the Cubs uh, the Cubs are aren't a lucky team but the Cubs have been finding holes and 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 getting hits in the right moments the last what month plus now it's been about uh and and that's great that good team that happens to good teams right this is a good team not a great team uh but i think moments like the last the previous two games uh really stand out in my eyes as as like oh they 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 can win these tight contests against really talented teams against great pitching that's that's what i really wanted to see them do uh that you're not going to blow out great pitching. Very rarely does that happen. Uh, the wind blowing in helps, right? I mean, you, because you're also not going to, in all likelihood, you're not going to hit a bunch of homers off those guys. And I don't think the Cubs had any homers stolen, but the Brewers sure did. And things went the Cubs way the past two days, and you'll take it. And then nobody's going to nobody's gonna go back and rewrite and say, like, remember those two games where the Cubs got lucky? No. The, well, we'll go back and remember the ones that they got unlucky on, but nobody's going to say that the Cubs got lucky. Not Cubs fans. Brewers fans, in Brett's mentions, certainly will. <laughs> I mean, this is how you'd – would have mapped it out, right? Like the Cubs are probably going to lose the tie-on game and they'd have to win the steal and Hendricks starts. And obviously they still have to get there. I don't have a ton of confidence in this Cubs team like winning multiple playoff rounds, but like you can kind of see the the outline of a really difficult team in that short series uh, in early October. I mean, Justin Steele... Uh, is locked in. There's no one you would trust more than Kyle Hendricks in a big game uh, for the Cubs. And you have Cody Bellinger doing MVP things. The defense, which uh, just <laughs> totally went missing on Monday night, which was kind of a you know funny. Uh, you know, you wait w- years for a big game at Wrigley Field with a big crowd, and the Cubs just totally face plant. Uh, I didn't think there'd be a huge carryover effect, uh, just given what this group has uh, overcome already this season. And it also made me go back to like 2015 when the Cubs were getting good and you're trying to kind of um, picture this team moving forward. And you don't have 1908 hanging over your heads anymore. I remember a Cubs person suggesting that Maybe be a good thing to play that wild card game on the road instead of uh, at Wrigley Field and feeling all that angst. Like that's all gone. And you look at this group, 
Uh, David Ross made the, this point a couple of weeks ago, and someone asked about like you know, you know, a young team trying to prove itself. He's like, look in there. He's like, I don't think this is really a young team. Like, there's a ton uh, of experience, of playoff experience, of World Series experience, and I think all the things, those things help in those types of games and everything they're going to face down the stretch. That's such a good point about the difference between a team on the come back in 2014-2015 versus one now, including in contrast to the post-World Series teams of a lot of guys who sort of been there, done that, they became superstars, celebrities, which I'm not saying took their eye off the ball, but it, we, we did hear a lot about sort of organizational complacency, the winner's curse, that it's sort of hard to renew that spirit because there wasn't anything that, that drove you in quite the same way. Um, but of course that created pressure for those 2014 and 15 teams that I think you're right now, rather than, you know, series like this, what we hear about is not the extreme pressure that the, that, and, and angst and anticipation from the fans that's sort of being grafted onto the players. It's excitement, it's energy, it's, it's hype, it's, um, Whatever the opposite of that is, it's lifting the players up. And I think the fact that there was that face plant in the first inning of the series, the fact that that didn't have any carryover, even for the rest of the game, the rest of the game was played reasonably well by the Cubs. They just didn't score when they had chances. And then they win the next two games is uh, is something we've seen from this team all year that how many times have we talked about where they've had a really bad loss um, or really bad two losses or three, you know, things sort of that we had become either accustomed to or you wouldn't have been wrong in predicting that like, uh oh, that's what we'll look back at and say that's when things turned. And that just has never happened this year. They just it seems like truly that mentality of oh, on to the next game. Don't carry anything with you. That's so cliche for so many players and so many teams is just really true for this team. They just have a great way of flushing yesterday away and moving on to today yeah I mean that that says a lot about the group right I, I mean I think I, I noticed that early I mean maybe not super early on but just uh, at some point you notice that these losing streaks or these losing moments weren't being extended and you know uh, they did a good job of of bringing in the right players to to kind of make sure that any any sort of a bad moment doesn't become uh, an eight-game losing streak, a 12-game losing streak. Uh, they're, you know, like Dansby Swanson is kind of slumping right now. I guess he, he had a couple singles the other day, but but he's in a slump, right? I don't think I would notice that as just an observer out in between games, right? Pre-game, post-game, I'd never see that with him. I don't think I've ever seen him, like, sitting at his... Uh, locker with his head hanging or or just like uh, if you go and talk to him just even like anything weighing on him or slightly annoyed I'm not sure I could say that about any other player really that I've covered like even like slightly even like even really good guys like Trey Mancini right a great guy but you could see it he was wearing it like the struggles were weighing on him uh Dansby's really even keeled, and I think that that addition really helps that clubhouse a ton. Uh, and and this team is just one of those that uh, I mean, props to Ross too, because Ross. I remember talking to Ross about this in 2015. He was uh, like, 
they talked about bringing him in for leadership, right? And I was like, what does that mean to you? And that essentially what I said is what he said. He's like, I, I'd like to think that veterans kind of make sure that when it's a two-game losing streak, it doesn't become a four-game losing streak. When it's four, it doesn't become eight. You're you're there to to make sure that people stay uh, even keeled, that people don't let, uh, hang their heads, uh, that that in those tough moments when when you're down three-one in the World Series, nobody's uh, nobody assuming that it's over, right? And and I think David Ross and Ben Zobers were a big key in, in that, and obviously Jason Hayward uh, in the end as well. Like those intangible factors uh, that. Uh, many many of us overlook and i know i i used to uh that there's value in that and and i think even jed is is continuing to evolve in that right he's not going to pay extra millions and millions of dollars for those intangible factors but he does value them well this is a separate there he just didn't see any intangible value in any of those guys (laughs) uh in terms of javi rizzo and kb that's going a little too far but that was the first thing i thought of uh Mooney's like, that's what's the heart of his read. Well, I do think, too, um, a similar player, a different path and background and what have you, but Kyle Hendricks is the same way, too. And you talk about someone who, and his job is obviously different than than Dansby's, like the day-to-day. But in terms of someone who has absolutely not changed at all since he won a World Series, that would be... Kyle Hendricks and Brett, I thought uh, you put it well. I mean, if not for Cody Bellinger, this guy would be the comeback player of the year, right? I mean, he Cubs had no idea what they would get out of him this year. I mean, people around Kyle weren't totally sure either. I mean, there was a plan in place. There were uh, ideas or goals that they were hoping to achieve and you know, it was very methodical and de- deliberate, a step-by-step process to, you know, get him healthy, improve his athleticism, get a little more velocity, uh, maybe lower some of the expectations of not being 30-plus starts and trying to go for 200 innings. But, like, I mean, this guy, uh, you go back to, you know, they're 10 games under, they get to San Francisco, and I think it's the second game there where he almost throws a no-hitter. And, you know, as Marcus Stroman receded, Kyle Hendricks has been so uh, steady and valuable. You look at the ascension of guys like Justin Steele and Edward Azulay, they, like, worship Kyle Hendricks. I mean, that's, like, their guy that they look to in terms of how they want to pattern themselves after. So um, just an enormous presence here, uh, a really... Uh, nice story in a very like harsh business. Uh, just someone who hasn't changed at all and still has a lot left in the tank. And I think we've seen some of his ex-teammates as they've scattered elsewhere. For the moment, there doesn't seem to hope, be a whole lot of there there. But I mean, Kyle Hendricks is someone that's going to have to continue to come up huge down the stretch for them. Imagine the alternate universe where Kyle Hendricks hadn't had a shoulder injury. Uh, and hadn't been dealing with the ramifications of that in terms of performance the last couple of years. And he's part of the sell-off, you know, imagine that he is moved in 21 or 22, same as the other guys. And he's not here now. 
and maybe he's having this resurgence elsewhere. Maybe he's not, but certainly the Cubs would be the Cubs would be worse for it not having him available uh, to become a critical part of this rotation, particularly in the absence of Marcus Stroman. Uh, we did get some word this week, some positive news <clears throat> on Stroman's rib cage cartilage fracture. It still doesn't roll off the tongue for me. Like it's, it's too many words. We need like, it needs a, a peppier name, zippier, but uh, his cartilage or rib cage cartilage fracture. Uh, we got some good word this week that he has participated in long toss, which is still, of course, a very far cry from throwing competitive pitches off a mound, let alone doing so in a game, let alone doing so well in a game. But for as mysterious as the origins and prognosis of the injury are, it does feel nice to see like okay well he can throw a baseball you know he can throw it at distance there's at least that perhaps you can imagine a world i'm still not going to do calculations on timeline because we don't until a guy is throwing with intent off the mound i just don't think it's worth doing the math but i do think that if he's throwing pain free or pain managed right now here at the end of august it does leave open the Slim possibility that he could return at the end of September, maybe contribute, and then you have uh, an interesting decision about how you would use him if the Cubs are fortunate enough to be heading into the postseason. You know, what kind of role makes sense. But what's comforting is even as you can have that conversation, it's not as if the Cubs are saying, oh man, if Stroman can't get back before the postseason, we're screwed. In a short season, in a short series, we're screwed. The Cubs just had two games that you could imagine being two games of a short series against a team like the Brewers facing Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, two of the best starters in baseball. That would be your nightmare scenario in a short series if you're any team. And the Cubs won both of those games because they have Justin Steele and Kyle Hendricks who outperformed the other two in this series. And that's um, there is a relationship there to the Stroman injury that goes beyond, I think, just the fact of like, oh, we've got innings covered. I think there's there's something a little more to it that that's heartening. Yeah, I mean, even even this rehab or whatever you want to call it is mysterious. I feel like because I like I don't think it was on anyone's radar. Maybe even some people with the Cubs that Marcus Stroman was throwing uh, on Wednesday was gonna do long toss. It it, it came as a surprise to me. I didn't even the hear it hinted the day before. Not to this isn't. Uh, putting anything on anyone, but the day before the quotes coming out of the organization were, you know, he's feeling a little better and there's the discomfort is lessening. And it, the tenor of it was nowhere remotely close to, Oh yeah, he's going to be throwing. Right. When, when we we got word of that before we stepped into the clubhouse, I was like, what? Like that wasn't, that is, was not the tone that we were getting yesterday. This is, this is out of nowhere. As far as I'm concerned, uh, so it kind of threw me for a loop. I, I still don't. I agree with you, Brett. I think you kind of laid out a best case scenario, in my opinion, that late in September he's able to, you know, uh, you know, with a week or 10 days left in the season, maybe he's able to get out there. But that's just like zero setbacks, everything going smoothly. And actually less than that, more than that, 
like things accelerated, like more of these surprises of of we we walk into the clubhouse and and we get a report of him doing this or no like out he's of nowhere. starting today, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like just like out of nowhere, stuff like that is happening. Um, and I and I felt like Ross put it well. It's like I'm not gonna put limitations on this guy. He's, he stays in shape and. Uh, he's like, I'm not expecting him back, but, you know, not going to lean on it or, uh, you know, assume that he's definitely back. But, hey, who knows with with him and how he works and, and his body and, and how he stays in shape, anything can happen. Uh, I, I put I'd put that to the side, though. I, and I and I agree, like Hendricks stepping up kind of makes this a little more palatable right you suddenly can say it's there's not this sense of dread normally when a guy who you know was in Cy Young talk starting at NL all-star game talk all that stuff for what for the first few months of the season that's how we were talking about Stroman and a guy like that gets hurt you think your season is sunk um I I still think it's it'd be very concerning in a three-game series with the Phillies because uh, that offense is just so different than Milwaukee. Uh, and the more I look at how things are lining up, I, I, I'm wondering, like, how can the Cubs avoid Philadelphia? Uh, but, you know, they just had an insane month. So maybe my opinion, you know, I, 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 that colors my opinion quite a bit and makes me biased of, like, you don't want to face that offense. Maybe September they cool off. But I don't know. That Trey Turner signing suddenly doesn't look like the worst thing in the world. And and they're they're just slugging like they were entering the playoffs last year, right? So, and Zach Wheeler, um, Aaron Nola. It's just, they're, they're a scary team in, in a short series, I think. And uh, maybe maybe their defense you'd prefer over <laughs> over the Brewers, right? I, I don't know. Uh, how, how much do you hate Bryce Terang, Brett? Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine. Every ball <laughs> within, like, 20 feet of the guy it's like what the hell is this guy doing like to to in a series make nico horner look like the lesser of the the defensive second baseman in a series i was like that that offended me personally (laughs) i was like you asshole stop it nico is the good defensive second baseman in the series uh yeah no it was uh, my point is uh yeah i i don't know i it's too early to start talking playoff matchups i guess uh, but but <laughs> certainly you just did yeah yeah uh, certainly certainly uh, that felt like a nice a, a nice preview of what a three game set with the Brewers would be but yeah I, I don't I don't want to see the I don't think Cubs fans should want to see the Phillies that uh, you know what I want to go to Philadelphia actually my favorite bar is there so let's go Phillies. <laughs> I am just picturing like 45,000 fans in South Philadelphia versus, you know, uh, a very comfortable stadium in Milwaukee, half filled with Cubs fans. I think there could be (laughs) a difference. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I do think it's hard. It was always hard, if not impossible, to tell like the daylight between Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. And obviously they both like are about the same age. They both grew up in New England. They both work for the Red Sox. Like, they're extremely similar. But when you look at the way this team is constructed and how it's succeeding right now, and this is really hard to, like, prove, but more of, like, an impression you get, and we've all followed them for a long time, is that Theo loved, like, 
impact and like kind of what guys could do with like guys with stuff and not that he didn't care about depth he was always worried about that but like you can tell that how Jed looks at a season and what he obsesses about is kind of depth and kind of or maybe it was just this particular moment of raising the floor and I think you can see that over and over again whether it's Strowman's injury or some of those you know uh veteran glue guys that they just dumped throughout the middle of the year and just kind of kept going uh the emergence of Mike Talkman. you know I'm not saying Theo wouldn't have done any of this stuff or that Jed's like some sort of genius for realizing wow you need a lot of guys for you know a 162 game season it's just that for this team in this moment you've seen the depth show up over and over and over again and that's why we don't know if they're going to make the playoffs but it's just hard to imagine like just a total face plant in September, uh, you know, some of those other, like, alarm bells just haven't been ringing. And, you know, we'll see if they can get through it. But the way this team's constructed, I think we're going to be, you know, talking about a relevant team all the way until the end of September. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, like I think about how in spring training we were talking about how this was a team that could compete uh, if most things went right for them, you know, if they didn't have a lot of things go wrong. And I think it is absolutely clear and true that a lot of things have gone very right for this team. But at the same time, it's not like they haven't had a lot of things that did not go the way they hoped or intended. And yet here they are. So I, I think that probably does speak well to the redundancies that were built in the farm system taking steps forward to supplement at the edges. Um, and then obviously some of the the depth moves at the major league level to have become very critical. They didn't all pay off for sure, but uh, definitely some successful ones. And I think that's a salient conversation to what's coming next, which is the calendar flips to September. Um, two things happening September 1 for the Cubs that are kind of funky uh, bit of timing. So for folks who remember September call-ups and, and all of that stuff, forget it. It's not that anymore. It's totally different now. Rosters simply expand from 26 to 28. 
and you have a maximum of 14 pitchers. So effectively, it just means you get to add an extra position player and an extra pitcher. That's all September means. And for the Cubs, unfortunately, it also means that in September, double headers, you don't get the free bonus player that you can just have up, come up, go down. You don't get that. And so the Cubs, when do they have their, is it their first double header of the year? I think it is. I feel like they haven't had one all year, which is crazy. I only realize that as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, I don't think they have. There wasn't one That's with crazy. St. Louis. That's got to be the latest in a year. No, no, no. They, they read it. They, there was a rain out with St. Louis and they played it on an off day, right? Make up with, yeah, I, I think those. I'll have to go back and look, but um, someone is screaming at their podcast right now, but I'm pretty sure they have not had one. So that's, you know, September for your first double header. That's, that's wild. But what's unfortunate for the Cubs then is, they they don't get the bonus player tomorrow because that's when the roster rules change. Now they still could use it that way. They could still call up a pitcher as the 28th man for roster expansion and then send that person down, whoever it is. But if it's Shane green taking one of those starts, which, you know, I won't put you guys on the spot, but that's my suspicion of what the Cubs have planned. Cause the starts line up that way and there's an open spot in the 40 man and so on and so forth, but he's not optionable. So if they bring him up to take that start, then it either is he goes into the bullpen they do a six-man rotation or he gets lost for nothing and, you know, cross that bridge when you get there. But I think the bigger thing that everybody wants to talk about with September is, you know, when is PCA coming? When is Peter Armstrong coming? Um, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow. I don't think he's going to be the position player called up. That's both from sort of signals from the organization, but also I feel like they are not treating September as any different than the rest of the season. You know, I don't think they see it as anything really changes. And so if that's true, then you look at who might come up. Well, on that first day, you might just want PJ Higgins to come up. You might just want a third catcher like teams kind of always do in September to limit the workload, limit the stress on Jan Gomes, open up more ability to use Miguel Amaya's bat without having it and Jan Gomes bat without having it create conflicts late in games where you only have one catcher left. Um, PJ Higgins is hitting well too. So they might just do something simple like that. I don't know if you guys are getting a different read on it, but I I just don't, I am trying to prime folks to not expect some exciting move tomorrow. Yeah, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't expect PCA. Um, I, I understand the PJ Higgins point. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's somewhat, I mean, Canario, makes sense it's canario or mervis because they're both on the 40 man yeah i mervis i'm not sure uh canario i could i could see but i also think there's an argument there's there's arguments for and against right it's what's best for his development right now i don't think it's coming up to the big league team but if if they truly believe that he's the best right-handed bench bat to kind of play matchups with late in the game for the team, maybe maybe he is the best for the team, right? Because that's what you need to look at right now. It, like, that trumps everything at the moment, I think. Develop, development can go secondary for any of these guys at AAA. Um, I, think, I think you need to figure out what's best for the team. PCA makes sense at some point. I'm just not sure if they're going to pull that lever just yet. I think Canario makes sense at some point. I'm not sure. They, they may just let him, you know, play out the full season, get every day at bats. Because, I mean, look at his uh, 
minor league career, it's been it, it takes him every day at bats to adjust for a week or two at every level he comes to, and then he goes on that torrid stretch, right? It's it's what he's done throughout his Cubs minor league career. Uh, other than that, I that's a good point. I I guess is there's somewhat you know. Uh, well, like they could like Jonathan surprise Perlaza, and, like Luis Vasquez, Lu- yeah, who needs to go on the forty man, and it's like okay, he can come up and play some defense. I mean, there just is there really part of that's that this team is well rounded right now in terms of the positional roster. They, you know, heck, maybe it'll just be is, is Master Boney even down? No, yeah. or is he back up? He's he's up. He doesn't get into games anymore. So he, like, he had like, one pinch hit. In Pittsburgh, <laughs> we we talked about this the other day. I was like looking at his locker. I was like, "Has he played yet?" I saw him yesterday. He's, yeah. he's definitely there. <laughs> he, he's 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 there. He's he's had one pinch hit since so he was that, called up, and that speaks to. And that's not even me putting down Master Brown. He's a nice bench player because he is left-handed back can play a lot of positions, runs the base as well. But point being, he doesn't see time at all. So it's not as if. The Cubs, they need this 14th position player desperately right now. It's like, oh, they obviously need this type of guy. So that's what I think is what making this a little bit harder conversation, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, I, I hadn't fully thought through all the options, I guess. I mean, we've been writing so much about it and focusing on bigger names. But, yeah, they'd be prepared to be underwhelmed, perhaps. Uh, but I think Shane Green makes a lot of sense uh, for that start. And, and at some point, you almost have to get Luke Little up here. I don't know who's going to get out lefties for David Ross. He can't He can't just – you can't have days like yesterday, right, and be like, what's wrong with Mark Leiter? Well, he's the only person that's being used to get out lefties. He's going to have occasional blips, right? Like, it, he – I mean, David Ross is doing what he has to do to win games. That This is not on Ross – it's I mean, it's it's on Jed, right? It's on Jed and, and the, the front office. They haven't given him anyone that that Ross can trust to get get out lefties. I know uh, Anthony Kay is there. Ross has tried to use him and he just hasn't delivered when when he did. So I don't there's no way you could use him over the past two games. Right. So it, it's just it, it, it's a difficult situation uh, for Ross. He, he needs someone that can that can build they can earn some trust right and luke little is that guy that's kind of locked in will miss bats and and maybe wow some people with like ooh, look at this stuff and and maybe maybe you can ride him in certain moments uh when lighter needs time off or it's just earlier in the game and you need to get pocket of lefties yeah it would be shocking if pca shows up in cincinnati it would go against kind of everything the organization has signaled and really what it kind of believes i mean it would be uh yeah not quite a panic move but just a it it, there would have had to have been something that happened between you know the end of yesterday's game and today like a major injury or something just we just don't know about when david ross says well whoever comes up doesn't have a starting spot so it's like okay and then you have the front office saying well, we need this guy to play and stay in a rhythm to be ready in case something happens. And then you have another layer of front office calculations of just him uh, not needing to be added on to the 40-man. So, like, they, at the top, see basically zero value to Pete Crow Armstrong. Hey, just bring him up. Let him be around the team. Experience a pennant. It's like, no, this dude needs to play every day to stay sharp in case, like, 
Talkman or Bellinger, you know, crash into a wall again, making a spectacular catch. Like they need, so sure. There might be some sort of like game theory moment where, you know, you'd like to have PCA steal a base and then go out and play center field. But like, I think they're looking at a much longer horizon and, and looking at more of the worst case scenarios uh, in terms of what they could use. And also as Sahadev has pointed out, like, this team could use use a spark later too, or there could be like a series or a moment where you're like, okay, like you just kind of say screw it about the forty man and just add him, but that's not quite yet. And I, I would expect to see Shane Green sooner rather than later as well. I think that the the game theory side of things too is a whole lot easier to see making sense later in the month or in the postseason when every thing is amplified and every possibility of getting that stolen base or having superior outfield defense whatever it matters more than 10 regular season games and so i think yeah it 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 has been signaled and it just makes sense that you would want to keep him playing every day so that in case of catastrophe he's ready to go and or buy yourself more time to to make a decision about is it when is it worth it you know when is it um when is is eating up that extra 40-man spot worth it? Which I know I, a lot of people cringe when they hear that. And it's not it, – it isn't us or the organization saying that that would be a dictating factor, you know, that that would make the decision. It's just you do have to be thoughtful about that because it does matter. And if the margins – it's the same thing with, like, going over the luxury tax this year. People don't want to hear that, but – it isn't as if the Cubs wouldn't have gone over the luxury tax if it was going to make the difference. If it was going to obviously be the difference in keeping the season alive or really making a run in the postseason. But what you don't want to do is go over by 50 bucks and then you incur some baseball related penalties in the offseason and some exponential uh, financial penalties going into next year when you want to go over the luxury tax. So they, you have to consider this stuff holistically. And so I know I'm among those who's like, I'm really itching to see PCA in the big leagues because he is a dynamic, fun, exciting player in the mold of like a Javi Baez who comes up and you're just sort of, it's magnetic to watch him play. And that's coming. It's coming eventually. Good things. You know, it's, it's the marshmallow test for all of us. Um, and if you don't get that reference, look it up. Uh, so anyway, prepare like, uh, uh, these guys have said to be maybe moderately underwhelmed at first on the call-ups tomorrow. And then eventually Luke Little is going to come if he keeps throwing, because he does have to be on the 40 man after the season. And uh, eventually he'll be up and he'll be fun to watch because he's, he's this six foot eight monster of a man uh, who has crossfire funky delivery throws upper nineties just has to be a miserable, miserable experience for lefty batters to face him. And the Cubs need that. So as long as he stays sharp and stays on a heater, he's coming eventually. And in the meantime, if Shane green comes up and takes that start tomorrow, well then Cubs are just going to have to figure it out, figure out what they're going to do. Uh, and that is the reds series, by the way, it's a four gamer and the Cubs have a chance to really put a dent in the Reds' hopes of staying alive in the wild card race and continue their climb in the NL Central. Uh, if the Brewers would actually lose to any team not named the Cubs, that would be helpful. This is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We, uh, oh, you can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation, uh, Sahadev and 
Mooney, wait, did I just completely mess up the outro? Did I start doing the intro? You go into automatic mode, and you know what? I'm just going to... You don't have to edit this out, Tim. I'm just going to reset for, for people who've stuck this. Okay, so this is on to Waveland. It's a Cubs podcast about the Cubs here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's of Sharma, Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. We will have a lovely weekend. I hope you have a lovely weekend, and we'll be back at you next week. And I will do a much better outro next week. (laughs) Take care.